Get a credit card that gives you what you need now, a low interest rate on everyday purchases, and place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest interest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed, and together they can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit PenFed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCU if what I think is happening is happening, it better not be. What the hell is going on around here? Who the hell are you people? Gary Hoffman. That sounds like somebody I know. Shannon Farron. She can help you with your woman problem, too. I mean, women look up to her. For what? Who are these people? You keep looking at Gary and Shannon. My advice to you, start drinking heavily. Oh. Shannon, the president playing down Iran's downing of that drone, that American drone, saying it might have been a mistake by someone just being loose and stupid. Is that a quote from Top Gun? The loose and stupid part? Yeah. I don't think so. All right. You've Maybe never, Naked Gun. Yeah, you've never been called loose and stupid. I mean, I'm sorry? In terms of, it, well, in terms of your military wow. actions. It's 10.06. Why You're going to come in Why that not hot? start early? Job, I- <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll talk more about this. Brian Suits is going to join us at the bottom of the hour to talk more about this. Uh, the Iran Revolutionary Guard, what it means. We know that the White House has scheduled a briefing right now as of about 1230 hour time uh, for more on this. The president did make some comments. He was at a news conference a few minutes ago with uh, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, and that's what he came up with, the loose and stupid line, the uh, the fact that this is an unmanned drone, which means that there was no man in it and no woman either. <laughs> uh, but also that he he kind of he doubled down on this being a mistake. Uh, and I don't know if that's a way to give Iran wiggle room to come up with an explanation for this. We'll talk with Brian Suits at the bottom of the hour more about this. He did not sound unlike Leslie Nielsen when he was talking about this uh, to Monica's naked gunpoint. Yeah. But we start with an update from that Costco shooting involving the off-duty LAPD officer who shot and killed that uh, developmentally disabled man on Friday night. The L.A. police today have released the name of that off-duty officer. Salvador Sanchez is the officer involved, and he is currently on administrative leave. The the details of this, again, in terms of... Nailing down exactly what happened, we can agree, at least the family, uh, the family's attorney, the Kenneth French is the man who was killed, the French family attorney and the officer's attorney have agreed on a couple of things, that the officer was struck from behind without any word being spoken, without any sort of interaction between uh, between Officer Sanchez and Kenneth French, while Officer Sanchez was 
feeding his son samples of chicken at the Costco store. Yeah, the officer's attorney says there was no discussion, there was no argument, no warning at all. He was suddenly struck, knocked unconscious. When he opened his eyes, moments later, he's on the ground on the concrete with his young son, 18 months old, also on the concrete. The son is screaming, and the attorney says that's when he had no choice but to use deadly force. Now, you could make the argument that that's not a, that doesn't make any sense. Just just being on the ground no. and, and hearing your son cry is not enough to justify deadly force. If the beating continued, I mean, if he had been knocked down and Kenneth French was going for more, going after him or going after his son, that would make more sense. The problem uh, that we, uh, according to the family's attorney, the French family's attorney, was that the father at that point had tried to step in right. and was trying to be uh, trying to stand between Officer Sanchez, who was apparently on the ground, and Kenneth French, who was above him. It looks like Kenneth's mom and dad tried to intervene, and that's why they were both shot as well. The father is said to be in serious but stable condition. The mother, however, remains in a coma and is in grave condition. That's not good. I, the, I heard John and Ken discussing this case, and they, were, uh, they had actually spoken to the officer's attorney who said that the officer, Sanchez, was on the ground when he fired. So he's lying on his back or you know, even, at, even if he was able to make it up to his knees before he shot at them. Uh, that, for one thing, would be a—this is not the right word— a better way to get the to sh- to shoot them, just in terms of taking other people out of the equation. If he was standing up and shooting horizontally at the people that were standing next to him, you're going to put a lot of other people at risk standing beside them, standing around them, standing behind them. If he's on the ground and he's shooting up towards them, chances are those bullets are going to go through whatever things are stacked in the aisles, as opposed to being a threat to somebody else in the in the uh, in the area. Kenneth French, 32 years old, did live with his parents, had the mental capacity, they say, of a teenager, that his parents were said to have dedicated their lives to taking care of their son. That's a this is. I don't think there's any winner in this. There's nothing that makes you feel good about any part of this, even if you it's believe hard that the officer. To, I mean, I always err on the side of, of officers usually, but it's hard to believe that deadly force was required in this situation. Again, I haven't seen the video. I wasn't there. Uh, another issue is they said it was just chaos after those seven or eight shots were fired and that people were taking off. There was a bit of a stampede and that the doors were locked at the Costco. Yeah, I, I've there's heard that as well. Of, yeah, there's some sort of policy where they. It's a time delay. Where the alarm goes off, but they don't open for 15 seconds yeah. or something like that. That's going to have to change. Uh, I'm surprised it has gotten this far without changing. Anyway, this is a story that obviously will not go away. We're going to keep an eye on it and see if anything does change over the course of the next couple of days. And when, you know, Corona Police in in can finish their investigation, Riverside County DA, whether they determine... The charges are justified in this case. Coming up next, I am shocked about this. 72 police officers in Philadelphia have been placed on desk duty because of what they've put on social media. Now we're all going through our mental Rolodex of all the offensive stuff we've put on social media. Are we not? Yes. Things that are could be deemed offensive? Yes. Yes. I mean, we offend every day. I had this discussion. Every single day. In, with my daughter again yesterday. You cannot trust that whatever private chat room you think you may be in or private message you're sending no. to someone. It's not private, Bella no. Thorne. It's not private. <laughs> I didn't call her that, but I, she knew what I was going for. All right. Gary and Shannon. 
You know things have gone wrong on your flight if you end up zip-tied and duct-taped because of your behavior. On purpose? Like somebody did it on purpose? You didn't accidentally slip into a zip-tie of some kind? Hmm. (laughs) We work with such mental patience. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, They're calling it a Facebook message scandal in Philadelphia that has... 72 Philadelphia police officers now on desk duty. There was an undertaking of looking through all of these officers, Facebook posts, social media, all all of it. And the research project flagged offensive material posted by about 2,900 current officers, some of them supervisors. The database was compiled by a lawyer there in Philadelphia in an effort to examine whether the online behavior could undermine public trust in police and make it more difficult for officers to work with minority uh, communities. They said what they found was racist and offensive. I wonder if there's a... Would it matter in a situation like this how racist? Yes. Or how offensive? I think so. Because, and, and I, I say it because of this, there are, you know, there are opportunities for people to, to say stupid things a, a million times a day. The problem is, for the most part, even for, um, let's use our office as an example. Not that, that we say racist things, because I, I think that would be pretty abhorrent, but we can say things that are offensive. That's a that's a pretty common occurrence in our office, right? Yeah, and we've got to start uh, closing the door. Yeah, because it echoes down the hallway. It's really bad. <laughs> you know, my volume control is non-existent. Depending on who is uh, walking by the door at any given moment, they could potentially be very offended by what it is that we say. Now, but for the most part, those things just disappear into the ether. After we I say them, so. if if Monica's not around to hear them... And catch you. And catch us and then yeah. call us out on Which it. Which I love. They'll just go away. But if you put that stuff on Facebook, it doesn't go away. It never goes away. I mean, the issue here happens to be the 72 Philadelphia police officers. But earlier this week, we were telling the story about uh, the, the kid from Harvard, or the kid who wanted to go to Harvard from Parkland High School. He admitted that it, a couple of years ago, as a dumb teenager, he and his classmates made, in his words, abhorrent racial slurs in digital messages back and forth. Well, and did you see what those were? Oh, yeah. He oh, used yeah. the key words. Like, oh, he yeah. used some of the ones, the big no-nos, right? right. And, and to that end, I mean, Harvard can do whatever they want. I, I don't – I would be very frustrated that my son would have been punished for a mistake that he – not that he didn't deserve it, but it would have been frustrating that – he could not somehow redeem himself uh, if he had made something stupid like that and put something like that online. This was not just Philadelphia. Eight police departments have been highlighted in this study. Um, there are officials in Phoenix, St. Louis, and Dallas, among other departments, trying to figure out if these distasteful and sometimes violent materials should warrant disciplinary action or terminations. Now, distasteful is an interesting word right you should not be put on desk duty for what is distasteful to somebody else furthermore since these departments are publicly funded is this a first amendment violation is no this- I, I would say i would argue no because of the point that the the city officials the police officials in philadelphia 
have to serve the entire community. And they have to have a reputation that's above reproach. Yeah, but it's still the government essentially telling you that you can't say that, isn't it? This is taxpayer dollars that, that put these guys in the street. Yeah, they're not arguing. Well, I don't know. They're arguing that they can't say what they, the, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know what the messages are. We have no details. We saw what that kid from Harvard or the kid from Parkland that wanted to go to Harvard said. And right. it was, I get it. I get why they rescinded their offer. Right. And that's also a private institution. But these are public uh, police departments telling you what you can and can't say on social media. I think you're going to run into a legal fight there. Well, they don't have a they don't have a right to to be a police officer. I mean, they have a right to keep a job, but they don't have a right to be a police officer. And I think with the job of a police officer, there's a responsibility for them to keep their noses clean to a certain. I don't know. That's a good. That's a good question. Yeah. Figure that out. Because if they do, in fact, lose their job, you're probably right. The union has the opportunity to go and fight uh, and say that that's an illegal use. Furthermore, uh, yes. speaking of Harvard, mm-hmm. you got some mail yesterday. Oh. <laughs> Harvard's reaching out My, to, to, to get your daughter at their school. Yeah, along with Yale. Along with Yale. Uh well, let's done. be clear. It's not that they let's it, take this victory lap. It's not like the president of Harvard was like, "Hey, is uh, is Olivia there? Can I speak with?" <laughs> they, they sent the letter, and it's the form letter that everybody gets once you reach a certain. Not everybody gets that letter. Well, that was the key. Is my wife? Oh, sorry, I got like uh, Miami of Ohio mail. My, my wife walked in and is holding the mail in her arms, and she holds up the two envelopes, and she says, <laughs> "As loud as I've seen her speak in any." A consternated voice. Let me be clear. I never got mail like this. No. And it, she showed me what it was. It was Did you good. get mail from Harvard and Yale? No. No. I think I. I think the most exotic place that I got was Humboldt State. <laughs> that was that was exotic at that point. Oh, Nobody God. else. But also the the marketing of schools today is definitely not what what it was. 25 Can years Can we ago. not make light of the... F- I mean, you should really No, no, I'm not this. saying... I'm not saying it's... Let's it's not, not fantastic. What I mean to say is... Well done. Every school, every school, between Cal State Channel Islands and the University of Puerto Rico have contacted my daughter. Everybody. Every single day for the last year and a half. Because she's exceptional. We've gotten three, four, five pieces of mail. What I think is amazing is that those, those schools we've shown no interest in at all... That are sending six, eight, 12 pieces of mail every month. That's how it works. You got to have your college game. I guess. Ignore them. Make, uh, when, them. make them want you more. When we come back, Brian Suits, host of Dark Secret Place, is going to join us. We'll talk about what the president referred to as probably a mistake. The downing of an American unmanned, which means no man and no woman. We've got that audio, Unmanned. right? Yes. Great. Uh, let me play it real quick just so before we go into there cuz when we talk with Brian it's going to be a whole lot more serious than this. Uh, but it's it's an unmanned. There's no man, no woman. Uh, let me turn this up so that we can hear the whole thing. We can enjoy it together. Fortunately, that drone was unarmed. It was not there was no man in it and there was no it was just it was over international waters, clearly over international waters, but we didn't have a man or woman in the drone. We had nobody in the drone. 
<laughs> would have made a big difference. Let me tell you, would have made a big, big difference. A lot of drones with people in there <laughs> lying around. Well, this just didn't. This was one that didn't happen to have a man or a woman. Gary and Shannon. I'll give you. Gary and Shannon, on this uh, Thursday, it is June 20th. A reminder, tomorrow is our big draft day. Not talking about the NHL draft. I'm talking about our presidential election fantasy the league draft. The NHL draft. Yeah, you're not you're not paying attention to that one? I'm That's not, not on your radar? What's wrong with you, sport fan, singular? Jeez. Expand your horizons. No, tomorrow we are going to go through. We still haven't figured exactly how we're going to do it, but we are going to choose... The presidential candidates. Yeah, we'll all have like a, a fantasy presidential candidate team, and then whoever is the last man standing yeah. wins as they drop off. Now, last time we did this four years ago, it was uh, Blake was able to trade somehow to get both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. I don't remember how he did it. It was a mistake. I drafted Hillary. Yeah, well, and you then drafted I Hillary traded for Trump because she wanted a what's his name the. Vietnam vet or whatever. So Jim Webb. Yeah. There you go. I love Jim Webb. I'm still glad that he was on my team. But that was way back when Donald Trump only had about 3% of the, the was it 3% in the polls. This year, I need to not be silly and, uh, and, and not just pick people that I like. Right. I need to think about talent and longevity. And to be clear, and we'll do this disclaimer tomorrow as well. It's not that this is an endorsement of those people. This is just who we think was going to get the nomination. I don't think we need to say that. Yeah, we do, because people are going to go, oh, you guys have your head up Eric Swalwell's butt. You know what? I might put Jim Webb on my team, even though he's not running, (laughs) just to have him. Brian Suits, host of Dark Secret Place, is joining us to talk about what's been going on with Iran. Brian, we found out today that Iran shot down uh, a surveillance drone and RQ-4A Global Hawk, courtesy of our friends up in Palmdale. Uh, how can we be sure that this was in international waters? Um, the the Global Hawks, as most most of our drones uh, have a transponder on board identical to a commercial aircraft uh, called ADS-B, ADS-B. It's a satellite transponder, and it updates uh, with very little latency. It's near real time, and if you go to Flight Radar 24 right now, you can see uh, incoming and outgoing flights out of Burbank, and you can look out the window, and and you can track them on the app, and you'll see that the 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 tracking is maybe five seconds behind the, the real world of where that 737 is. So these, the, especially the Global Hawks, um, constantly transmit their real location. Like there, there's probably going to be one over eastern Ukraine later on today. They fly out of Sigonella, Sicily. Um, and they can uh, they can loiter for like 24 hours, but they go way above uh, commercial airlines. They can they usually operate at like 50 or 60 thousand feet. So that so that's a radar track that anybody in the world was able to see all day yesterday, and they can produce it. The the civilian apps can produce it. The Pentagon can produce it, and and, and, and of course the Iranians will deny it. But bottom line. The wreckage crashed in international waters. You know, there's video of it spiraling down like a maple leaf seed 
um, you know, and falling into the Gulf of Oman. Uh, and the Iranians will not be able to produce any uh, corroborating data. And also, they don't want to. They're, they're, you know, this is intentional. So what do you think the response should be? What do you think about the president uh, downplaying this as possibly a mistake? Well, remember, he started out this morning saying they made a big, big mistake. Um, and and obviously, I think what we're learning is that the the negotiations between the civilian government and the White House are, are happening probably directly um, because somebody in Tehran called Mike Pompeo and said, hey, that wasn't us. That was the IRGC. You know, they're a rogue organization. You, they're a terrorist organization. You guys designated them that 20 years ago. Uh, that was not us. Because, uh, you know, the, the civilian government, President Rouhani, is not president of the IRGC. They're a state within a state. And they want Trump to send more troops to the Middle East. They want a reason uh, to kill Americans because they, they want to see if they can uh, affect the American election by giving Trump a defeat. Uh, this is that's their agenda, um, and this is this is part of it. So I think someone in Tehran called Pompeo and said, um, "Hey, we're on this. We didn't intend it. That's not national policy. That was IRGC policy." So that's that's why uh, what Gary just played before the break that was pretty significant to me when when he said that that that, that he ramped down. The bellicosity, his bellicosometer. <laughs> yeah, the mistake that he referred to in the tweet was obviously something like you you poked a sleeping bear. The mistake that he referred to in the news conference was more of somebody probably you know crawled out from under the chain of command and did this on their own and they shouldn't have. Yeah, and that is not what happened. They from the top, the IRGC said, take that thing out. That is the eyes and ears of the Abraham Lincoln Carrier Group. We got to send the Americans a message, and we have to keep provoking Trump. And also, they're shooting rockets in Iraq at Exxon facilities and American bases. So they have a separate foreign policy, a completely separate foreign policy. And um, as I was telling a prior show, uh, that's why the Pentagon made a point of saying IRGC missile, IRGC command, IRGC attacking tankers. They didn't say Iranian, Iranian, Iran, Iranian. They said IRGC. So everyone is being really careful about who the target is. So that's why I would say that the, because we have to do something. We, uh, it, Trump has told uh, the new Secretary of Defense, hey, great first day, but you might want to take, <laughs> take some notes here. Um, we have to do something. Uh, the, the Pompeo saying it, Bolton saying it, uh, and Trump, more importantly, Trump is saying, we got to do something. And so something probably will look like a concentrated, targeted strike on the actual missile facility, the, the facility in Bandar Abbas uh, there at the Gulf of Oman. And that that's a limited thing. It's a, a one-time thing that you don't expect that to necessarily, if that does happen, to expand out to anything else. It would depend on what the IRGC does. You know, if, if they were smart... They would clear out, get several miles away, um, start Snapchatting it. But th- that I would not want to be there because we have to do something. And that's part of the thing is they know that. That's part of why they did this. And also, by the way, the rest of that of the Gulf area needs to be up in arms because they fired a missile into international airspace, just like the, what the Russians did in 2014 when they shot the 
Malaysia airplane down. They they fired a missile at a target at 60,000 feet, and it had to go through civilian airspace to get there. Um, so what they did, the U.N. should be pounding the desk with their shoes right now, but they're not. And so, you know, this is why I'm, I'm telling you, uh, like I'm looking at the sun in the sky today as it strikes my solar max panels, that something will be done before close of business today. Vladimir Putin is warning against any sort of military action, saying that it would be a catastrophe for the area as, at a minimum and that uh, any sort of action would trigger an escalation of hostilities with unpredictable results, he said during this uh, televised call-in show today. He's right. But, but you know, that's the thing. Um, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, and the the IRGC... Um, this is their entire mandate is doing exactly what they did today. This is in their totally in their wheelhouse, um, and they want an excuse to shoot more rockets at American bases in Iraq. And um, and and I I would say maybe the smart thing would be to back off. Except that the government that we're talking to in Tehran are not the guys who are actually running the country. They are not the guys that we need to be worried about. Is there anything to be gleaned from the technology that they used to shoot this thing down? I mean, it's bigger than a – it's got a wingspan larger than a 737. It's not a little tiny drone that we're talking about. Well, and it's not – the initial report was that it was this variant uh, that is a, a brand-new, a virtually experimental uh, hoover of electronic intelligence. It was not that variant, which is good because that thing costs about $120 million bucks. Um, and and it's definitely white people welfare out here in Palmdale to make those, um, but it was not that variant. Um, it, it was a it was a, a earlier variant. In fact, this airframe literally it's been flying since 2005. The thing the thing is is 14 years old, um, and, and so we recovered its cost. But if uh, the U.S. Navy is picking up the wreckage, because that is it's still a national secret. So and by the and they're picking up the wreckage in international waters. But, um, yeah, if they could get to it, there would be uh, a lot to get out of it. But they're not going to get to it. Brian, thank you so much. Appreciate it. I can't wait for that NHL draft show tomorrow. You guys are awesome. <laughs> it's going to be a blast. All right. It turns Keep your stick on the ice and your puck in the freezer. I don't know what that means. No, but just remember to always skate to where the puck is going, uh, not, not to, to where, where it's been. David Ortiz was not the target of that hit in the Dominican Republic. I don't know how you make a mistake. How do you make this mistake? Gary and Shannon will continue in a moment. Oh, we stacks on the playback. I'll do it all again. Oh. Took my uh, wife and daughter to the Giants-Dodgers game last night. That's sweet. And, uh... Beautiful night. Yeah. Just an absolutely beautiful night. Sit there in a t-shirt, not feel cold, not feel too hot. Just was great. Uh, uh, Goldilocks over here. We, <laughs> I got to make something positive out of it. Okay. So we sit down and uh, watch the end of the, the first half, the top of the first inning. Um, and then we get to the bottom of the first inning and Drew Pomerantz pitching for the, <laughs> for the Giants. It gives up a couple of base hits. And uh, my wife says, is he the regular pitcher? And I said, well, one of them, yes. And she, I said, why? And she said, well, because he gave up two hits already. I said, listen, I'll count it. I'll count it a victory if they don't give up 
a run in the first inning. It was already two outs, two strikes on uh, on Chris Did you Taylor. Say, Honey, welcome to Giants baseball. I said, this is what this year is like. I said, just, let's just get out of the inning without a home run. On three oh, and two, pump Deals. The runners go. Taylor with a fly ball to left field. <laughs> I mean, it's well hit. As it I'm saying that, yeah. it is gone. A home run. The home run. Three run home run for Chris Taylor to start the first. But the Giants were able to come back, right? Oh, oh no. Stop. You know what's amazing? I can't. There were six home runs in that game last night. I don't think I've ever been to a game where there were six home runs. Keeps it interesting, doesn't it? Especially for people who aren't big baseball fans. It makes it more fun. Cody Bellinger is. I mean, a machine. Yeah, that guy's incredible. David Ortiz was apparently not the target of that shooting in the nightclub in the Dominican Republic. It was his friend, David Fernandez, who was dressed similarly to David Ortiz and was seated with him on the night of that shooting in the bar. It was an $8,000 hit, attempted hit, I guess we should call it. Well, you get what you pay for, apparently. That's not 8000 bucks for a... For a hit, I, maybe that's Dominican rate. Uh, well, how much you, would you pay to get it right? Yeah, I'm paying probably forty grand. You're going to pay forty grand to get somebody off. If I, if, I didn't know I was worth that kind of I'm money. I'm saying to you. if I had to, you no, I wouldn't. Uh, you wouldn't off me. I wouldn't pay that much to off you. Um, <laughs> Wait, so what am I worth? Huh? That's a slippery slope. <laughs> well, who, who are you sitting with? Because that's important, Monica. Well, you're taller than Monica. Am I? Yeah, your hair is lighter than Monica's. And you don't wear glasses like Monica does. The member of so the... I could pay somebody pretty little to be like, <laughs> go for the tall one without the glasses. Okay, chief. The member of the Mexico Gulf cartel, Victor Hugo Gomez, is on the run. They think that this was the trigger man. Yeah, and I guess the reason that they were targeting David Fernandez, Big Poppy's friend, was that David Fernandez was the one who snitched on the the cartel guy to U.S. authorities. That makes much more sense than David Ortiz was sleeping with the drug cartel's wife. Where the hell did that narrative come from? Because it's so far off from this story. <sighs> I've seen the video from that night. Everybody has this super grainy video of that nightclub in the Dominican where David Ortiz is the guy comes up behind him and shoots him and then takes off. And the the bullet goes through David Ortiz and hits his buddy in the leg. There's nobody in that bar. There's no two people in that bar who are as big as David Ortiz. No. I don't mean fat. I mean, he's just a giant human being to begin with. How you mistake that guy for David Fernandez doesn't make any sense. So you aren't biting on this story. Oh, I'm not saying that it's – I'll go back to what I said first. You get what you pay for when it comes to a hit. If you're only going to pay eight grand, expect that there's going to be some leeway with who the target is. Life be. Lessons from Gary Hoffman, How to Order a Hit. Because when you do that thing right there, flipping your ear, baby, I swear. I don't think you know what you're doing to me, you got My heart keeps giving a beat, you know. Gary and Shannon, reminder, the uh, White House has invited a bunch of uh, members of Congress today to get an update on what's going on with Iran. Not only have they invited the leaders for both parties in the House and Senate, they've also 
extended the invitation to the top Democrats and Republicans on the House and Senate Intelligence Committee, the Armed Services Committee. And then there is an expectation. I don't know if this time is going to be pushed, but there's an expectation that there would be some sort of a news conference from the White House after those briefings to tell us what they can. This, of course, all following the Iran shooting down or the Iran Republican Guard shooting down an American drone um, super early in the morning Iran time, uh, but getting the reaction from the president that that was a huge mistake. Well, it's being called a bombshell today in a courtroom in San Diego. This is the murder trial of a Navy SEAL accused of killing an ISIS prisoner overseas. This is Special Ops Chief Edward Gallagher that's accused of premeditated murder while serving in Iraq. Today, a medic takes the stand and testifies that he was the one who killed the prisoner. Ooh. U.S. Navy SEAL Corey Scott admitted under cross-examination that he was the one who did it. We have an opportunity to welcome into the studio today uh the major players in a story that we talked about several months ago. Yeah, we um, first read our buddy Keith Sharon's article back in December in the OC Register, and we thought, what a horrific story um, of of a couple that wanted to adopt a baby and a woman across the country that completely lied for months, leading this couple on, believing, leading them to believe that they... Uh, they were going to adopt a baby. And at that time, when we did the story originally, there it didn't appear that there was any sort of legal recourse, that there was going to be any sort of justice in this in terms of uh, what was clearly, to a lot of people, if nothing else, a moral, an ethical crime, but, but maybe not a legal God crime. God bless the prosecutors who went through this case and found a way to get this woman and make her accountable for at least a portion of the pain that she caused. So Keith Sharon from the Orange County Register is here uh, and was gracious enough to introduce us and everybody else who read the article to Matt and Laura Trait, who also join us. So first of all, thanks to everybody for coming in. I know the traffic's horrible. Sorry. Oh, thank you for having thank us. You for having us. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, tell us about tell us about you guys. I mean, tell us about your story and, you know, uh, why not start with just the basics of where you guys met and married and and why you wanted family, that sort of thing. We actually met in grad school. We were both becoming teachers, and um, Matt, I had noticed him on campus, and so he was behind me in line. I can tell line. Why. Look at that. I know. I was <laughs> easy. to smile. It was blue eyes. But um, he was behind me in line one night at, in the cafe, and I was just thinking to myself, I need to reach out to him because this might be my one and only chance. And so I actually did, and, and, um, and then we were inseparable pretty much. Uh, we were to get together all the time, and uh, yeah, and then, I mean... Yeah, we, uh, you know, we dated for probably two years, a year and a half. And um, and then, you know, I asked her to to marry me at my brother's wedding and with with their approval, of course. And after the services and everything, it wasn't you don't want to steal the thunder. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And uh, so that was amazing. And, And we, you know, we were married probably a year and a half, two years before we we tried um to to have a family and it had always been something that we wanted to do family means everything to us you know i i I come from a small family but very close-knit and um, laura comes from a very big family but also very close-knit we knew very early on that that was going to be a huge priority in our lives is is establishing a family 
In fact, when we were dating, we discovered that we were both from cities called Hudson. I'm from Hudson, New Hampshire. He's from Hudson, Ohio. Oh, my gosh. And so we had said when we were dating, you know, when we have our first child, um, if it's a boy, his name has to be Hudson. Um, and so, yeah, so we fell in love. With, but as soon as we started trying to conceive, we had a hard time with it. And um, we started going to infertility appointments, trying to figure out what the cause was. We both have, We both have factors that lend themselves to that but um we started our process right off the bat with ivf um and uh it took us three rounds to have our son and um that was a hard process in itself and a big financial commitment um and then uh, when he was about two or three we started wanting to add another child to the family and he started asking if he was going to have a sibling um so we we were like (laughs) oh gosh well it wasn't easy to have you but you know (laughs) We, we want more than one. We wanted him to have a sibling. But um, we, we appreciated his, like, desire to express that to us, right? Yeah. Sure. You know, we see families all around us with, um, you know, with, with more than one kid, you know, and he starts kind of looking around and noticing, like, why is it that we only have me, you know? Why, why don't I have a brother or sister? And that's it's a hard conversation to have with him, you know? But we wanted to include him in the process and include him in you know, our, our decision-making because, you know, he's, he's our world. Um, you know what, when we first talked about this story, I don't think I even considered the toll that the ordeal would have on your son as well. And now that you're bringing this up, it's, it's hard to, um, imagine it not having such a big toll on him as well. And we've had people say, well, you know, you shouldn't have involved him as much as you did. But, you know, being an only child, we didn't ever want him to feel resented or like that we were doing anything behind his back or that he wasn't important um, and that we, you know, needed to somehow get someone else, you know, get get another child because he wasn't good enough, you know, so – we, we made sure early on to include him in and communicate with him. And that makes perfect sense. I mean, I think every parent of uh, only child knows how special and close that relationship yeah. is. Um, so it makes perfect sense. The, uh, the Unfortunately, the story of, of infertility or struggling with fertility is not unusual. How did you make the leap from that to uh, let's let's look at adoption? Let's get into that arena. So it took us three rounds to have Hudson, and then we decided uh, to try – we actually tried three more rounds um, to give him a sibling. It just wasn't working. And it's so hard on the body. Um, and the pocketbook. Yeah. Financially, mentally, physically, it's it's really hard. And so we had always considered adoption. Um, and we just never had the money to do both IVF and, and adoption. So I decided, I, I think I decided I didn't want to put my body through that again, all the injections and everything. Um, and so we decided to look more into adoption as you guys can tell these are the nicest people who went into this with the best intentions only proving that bad things can happen to good people yeah yeah and the reason that we wanted to talk to you again and tell your story again is um is because and i was talking to handle about it earlier this morning he said that this is common that that people are taken like this um more than you would think, which yeah. is just a disgusting thought to think about. When we come back, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to find out how you were able to be put in contact with Elizabeth Jones, um, the woman who claimed that she was pregnant and uh, that, that she was going to allow you to adopt her baby. 
That and, never existed. And just within the last couple of weeks, there are more developments in this case as well that yes. we'll get to. So uh, Keith and uh, Keith Sharon from the Orange County Register and Matt and Laura Trait have joined us to talk about this story. First of all, I know this is deeply personal, and we appreciate what it is that you guys are doing coming in here and spilling your guts in front of us. And, you know, it's just amongst us. It's just between friends here, okay? Thank okay. You. Thank right. you. <laughs> Gary, Gary and Shannon. Shannon. We'll continue in a moment. Gary and Shannon. We are with Keith Sharon from the OC Register, as well as Matt and Laura Trait. We first told you their story last December, and uh, where we left off, they were building a family. They had a little boy, Hudson, and were working on uh, on creating a, a sibling, going through IVF, uh, several rounds of that, and it was not taking, it was not successful, and it was taking a toll on them in more ways than one, so they turned to adoption. How did you, how did you get in contact with Elizabeth Jones? How did she surface in your life? So we had decided to use social media um, to our advantage to try and find a birth mom. And um, I guess we were trying to self-match. And so I created a website called The Sibling for Hudson. And we started uh, posting on social media um, about our website. And, um, you know, you pay $15 to boost your posts and reach a certain audience. Um, And so that's something we were learning about. And that's something we tried in, um, in September. And within a couple of days, actually, three different birth moms got, a, got in touch with us uh, in September, and she was one of them. Um, so that's how we found her. She saw our post. And, and, she and she's, she's back. I mean, she's in Virginia, right? I mean, she's yeah. it's not even close. It wouldn't. It, uh, how do you, what is the relationship? How does it begin? I mean, she responds. Do you do you do some sort of a vetting process? Do you try to? feel out what's you know what her motives would be or what you know her situation might be yeah it was it was a definitely a get to know you process i mean you know obviously the internet is the internet and there are a lot of unknowns about that and you know there are there are lots of advertising agencies that help connect people with you know uh, birth mothers and things like that and and you know the adoption industry is is so expensive and so we were just trying to make the connection ourselves and then involve all the appropriate people once we've made that connection. So, um, you know, Laura would, would talk to her and message with her for hours and hours every day, just initially getting to know, getting to know each other. Yeah, They kept every tweet, every email between the two of them. I made a printout that they gave me, and it's 600 pages, single-spaced of this getting to know you process and it's it reads like a shakespearean tragedy mm. the the highs of we're going to do this this is going to be incredible and then problems oh i don't feel right i'm not sure and th- them wondering is this going to work what happens next and then as the story the tragedy builds upon tragedy as you read through this uh, it's an incredible document, Laura. Why did you keep that stuff? I mean, did you did you go back after? Now we know what happened. Did you go back and compile it, or did you keep it originally? So the day in the hospital when we found out, you know, that everything that she wasn't pregnant, um, we went back to a, where we were staying, our Airbnb, and I just we started making calls um, to the sheriff's department to report this and everything, and I just something came to me that said, 
we need to save all those all messages. I want to go back a yeah, couple steps yeah. uh, from the hospital. Yeah. So you you start uh, corresponding with her um, online, Facebook or whatever, and then that um, evolved into face to face contact. I mean, I'm looking right now at a birth announcement where you're arm in arm with this woman, and she's wearing a birth mom strong short. So there were a, a number of, of times that you met with her that she kept this thing going. Yes. So, you know, along the way, we thought it would be a good idea for me to go out and meet her in person just to make sure because it was going to be an open adoption. So yeah. she was going to be a part of our life. And so I wanted to meet her face to face to make sure that we got along well. Um, and I didn't, you know, get any uncomfortable vibes from her or whatever. So I went out at the beginning of November to meet her. And while we're, I was there... We took those pictures. We took professional pictures. Um, we toured the hospital where the baby was supposed to be born. We met with a lawyer and signed a power of attorney. <clears throat> she uh, signed it, giving us legal rights to make uh, medical decisions for the baby once she was born. Um, and, you know, I took her out for multiple meals while I was there. I visited her, her at home. And she was just lovely. And maybe the, the cruelest yes, thing the she did was she gave them a stuffed unicorn. And just a keepsake to have to remind them that they were in this together. It had a recording of, of the baby, the baby's, a baby's heartbeat in it. So you squeeze the, the stuffed animal and you can hear the oh my gosh. heartbeat. And, you know, we got that ultrasound That just rips my heart and, out right there. Um, so I had brought her gifts, too. Um, we got her a necklace and then we got her kids some gifts. Um, because, again, this was going to be like a open adoption where we would always be in touch and she would be like extended family. And I remember telling my sisters she felt like a sister to me when we were building our relationship and, and she seemed like such a good person. And then what started to go wrong? When did it start to go wrong? How many months were you into this? You know, so while I was there at the beginning of November, um, I was supposed to go to a doctor's appointment with her and I actually drove her to a doctor's appointment and we were in the waiting room waiting for them to call her back. And she was like, I forgot my water in the car. Can you run and get my water bottle? Well, while I was gone to get her water, they called her back for the appointment. So I didn't get to go into the room with her initially. Uh, and then I started texting her, can I come back? I'm back with your water, you know. Um, and she's like, I'll send a nurse out to get you. I'm just getting undressed. I was like, okay, that makes sense. And nobody ever came to get me. Um, so that was one of the things that really stood out to me. I was really upset at that point that I didn't, because that was one of the main things I wanted to do while I was there was meet the doctor. And Sure. And she had said that she had explained to the doctor everything and that, you know, they knew that we were coming and they knew she invited Matt to cut the cord, uh, things like that. So um, that was one of the main things that I wanted to accomplish while I was visiting, but that didn't happen. So The, the other thing was this wasn't an easy pregnancy. This this fake pregnancy had all kinds of complications to it. She would send them pictures of bloody sheets and she, she was always fretting about, I may lose this baby. It was like she was trying to take them to the edge of emotion oh my God. and then pull them back yep. and keep them hooked. Lots of preterm labor. She was labor in scans. and out of the hospital a lot with, uh, with contractions and um, they ended up putting her on, on bed rest and she had to have a surclage put in uh, to keep the baby in and um, 
She had bleeding. Would, and was this was she actually going to the hospital, or, would, or do we now believe that she just would call you or t- or tell you I went to the doctor and they told me to bed rest that sort of thing? That's what she was doing. Okay. Yeah, was I'm sure that was it. Up, I, I guess. And and you know, looking back, of course, you can say you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. There are red flags, you know, but adoption is is a. a um, a journey of the heart, right? You've got these hopeful adoptive families that, you know, have gone through heartache and are, are, are desperate. And, you know, at the same time, you know, we hadn't any reason to believe that she was trying to deceive us. You know, she didn't ask us for any money, um, you know, and so we just, we dove in, you know, with our hearts and, and, you know, invested, you know, all of our time and all of our love into this relationship. And in fact, right after that doctor's appointment, I was, I was ready to head back to California because I was just feeling really upset that I didn't get to meet the doctor. But then what happened next changed my mind. And that was that we sat in our, our my rental car for hours talking. She opened you up and to Elizabeth. me. Yeah. yeah. She opened up to me. I opened up to her. I told her things I really don't tell anybody else. Uh, she was in emotional pain and, and um, just... She- she was going through a lot with this journey of giving up this child, and I thought that was understandable, and I was so empathetic for her. And I even convinced her. It's so much her, tried worse than her. taking money. Yeah. It's so much worse. Yeah. The the emotional vampire that she was. Yes. Not, not I mean, to mention the fact that, you you know, as we've seen, and we talked about a couple of months ago originally, it's not illegal to, to be manipulative like that. And that's a great point. When I talked to her, I think that's what she hung on to. She knew the whole time that she had her hooks into them that nothing could happen yeah. because I'm not taking money. As long as I don't take money, I'm, I'm clear. When we come back, we'll have to talk about the, the moment that you realize the whole thing was a sham. She'd been lying to you the whole time. Um, so... We're, we're talking with Matt and Laura Trait. This makes me so angry. And Keith Sharon from the Orange County Register about this uh, this just incredible story that we first brought to you a couple of months ago. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. You got a little, you can use much more. Gary and Shannon, reminder at about uh, 1230 our time is when we expect to see some sort of word out of the White House. They have uh, invited members of Congress, congressional leaders, members of the Armed Services Committee and the Intelligence Committees to talk about what's been going on with Iran after Iran apparently shot down one of our drones in international waters over there in the Persian Gulf. We'll talk about that coming up a little bit later. Matt and Laura Trait are with us, a couple from Lake Forest who was in the process of adopting a baby, thought they had a birth mother in Virginia, had gone out there to meet her, had spent hours with her developing a very close relationship, and it turns out the woman had faked the pregnancy the entire time. When did you realize that this was the case? Not until the day when we were waiting in the hospital for our daughter, um, for the baby to to get there, did we realize. She went the distance with this. She she took it all the she way. She went past the, the distance. Yeah. I mean, we had given her, you know, uh, Laura tried to convince her at one point to keep the baby. Um, you know, we had given her several outs. We, f- we flew out there right after Thanksgiving. We made arrangements um, for the three of us to fly out there, and we spent you know, a few days with her and her kids. 
Um, our, our son played with her kids. Uh, they went to the trampoline park together. We took, took them out for meals. We went to her house um, where she we basically waited on her at her Airbnb and cooked her meals while she pretended to have contractions in front of us. She invited our son to touch her stomach at one point to feel the baby kick. Um, it, and it then just, on the morning that this happened, she started early sending you, you distress signals. Yeah. Yes. So we were there that whole the whole week. She had gotten well. She had said she got the surclage removed on Monday morning, and so from then on, we were kind of just like cooking for her and waiting on her. Um, we were there for her every need, basically. And we just wanted to make sure that, you know, she was comfortable and, and we knew this process was, wasn't going to be easy for her. So we just wanted to be there for her as much as we could. And um, and then the night before or the day before, nothing was happening. She wasn't dilating or anything any further. And so we said, we're going to head back to California because Matt is missing work. Hudson's missing school. And, you know, the baby's not ready to come, which is good because she was only about 34 weeks and so uh, we'll come back when the baby is ready to be born. Um, and so I think that that kind of told her, uh-oh, I have to do something here. Yeah, it and escalated so, things. Yeah, so that night she texted and said that she was her contractions were getting closer together. And we got the bloody pictures started coming in. Uh, and then um, she said she's going to go to the hospital. Her husband was going to take her to the hospital. And then she told us that the doctor said that it was happening. Um, so to come back the next morning was they had said that she was 50% effaced and five centimeters dilated. And the baby at that point was five pounds, two ounces. So she gave all these details Yeah. and the doctor said, come back the next morning. We're going to break your water. Um, and, uh, and you'll have the baby. And so we were just overjoyed. We went to bed that night thinking, you know, we're going to meet our daughter in the morning. And so just happy. And, um, <clears throat> The next morning, early the next morning, she started sending bloody pictures again and saying that she didn't think she could make it to the 9 o'clock. Um, she wanted to go into the hospital sooner. So we were like, let's go. We're ready. Um, and so we jumped in the car, and the phone rings again, and it's her. And she is basically she's saying that she's giving birth in the car. Which, so you know, in she, hindsight, you think about it, it, you know, that there wasn't a baby at all. Like just imagining her being somewhere by herself having these Big oh contractions. Yeah. She said her husband was driving. She was screaming, saying there was blood everywhere, and she was scared, and the baby was coming. She didn't know what to do. And so I was just trying to keep her calm, uh, you know, you like kind of channel what you see on TV. like Coaching her through Lamar's breathing exercises yeah. and breathing stuff on the phone. And just asking her if she had anything to put the baby in or um, and just saying, you know, stay calm. It's going to be okay. You know, do you have anything to put the baby in? She's like, I have a towel. And I was like, Okay, just have that in case, you know, can you feel the head at all? And she's screaming and saying she didn't know and she was scared. Um, and so then all, of a sudden, <laughs> yeah, then all of a sudden she said, okay, Brian was able to flag down an ambulance. Um, and so we're going to get in the what? ambulance. Can you flag down an ambulance? I, I know. Supposedly, I think they, they had called an ambulance oh, to report oh. that they were coming and they were able to flag it down as it was passing. And. Um, but this at, is on the highway. This is yeah. on the side of the road that they're talking about. Right. At this point, we're driving to the hospital, and all I know is that this birth mom is supposedly giving birth in the car. And so I was kind of just focused on that. Sure. Not like, oh, okay, they flew Logistics. Down an ambulance. Like, yeah. it didn't, I don't know. It didn't occur to me at that point. 
So, um, so we were like, I signed off with her, and then uh, she started texting saying that they were going to bring her to a different hospital with a NICU. And I was like, okay, great, because we had toured that hospital too. Uh, that past week, actually, when Matt and Hudson were also there, we toured that hospital. We toured the NICU. Um, and so, you know, I had known the nurses, whatever. So we turned around. We went the other way. We, we got to the other hospital. We ran upstairs, and we're waiting. Um, I, I saw a nurse that I recognized. So I was like, you know, Elizabeth's giving birth in the ambulance right now. She's on her way. We're going to need the NICU. So they jump into action. All these nurses get involved. They bring an incubator out. They were wonderful. All of these people are waiting near the near the elevators for this baby to be rushed up. It's and not showing up. There's, they're, we're waiting and we're waiting and, and nothing. There's there's no baby coming up. There's you know no. There's nothing. We're waiting in the NICU waiting room and and you know that's when we start to panic. Like where where is she? Why isn't there anyone coming up? And but we're trying. I mean, we're still moving on. Like we're taking pictures together and video and. You know, Hudson has his little best bro shirt that we bought um, to welcome his new sister. Yeah. And so, you know, we're just kind of like, oh, well, maybe they hit traffic, whatever. Yeah. Too. Kind of like, this is weird, but. Still okay. caught up in the moment and excited. So she was, te- we were texting and actually that's another thing that's kind of weird, but we were texting and she was like, okay, we're here. They're going to bring the baby up and they have to remove the placenta. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe this went this far. <laughs> yeah. And so we're still waiting, and I was like, no, we're, we're waiting near the elevator. Nobody is coming. And she was like, well, they're on their way up. I don't know what's happening. And so more time goes by, and one of the nurses were like, let's go down down to the ER and see what's happening. So we bring the incubator. They take me, like, the back way. And a couple of nurses came with me, and we go down, and we go to the ER. <clears throat> and everybody is asking if anybody by that name was checked in, and everybody's like, we don't have... No, like nobody was delivered here by ambulance that gave birth. But there was. But one of the nurses was like, "There, that must be a common name because there is somebody here by that name. But she's not pregnant. She she drove herself here for lower back pain. Oh, my gosh. So uh, eventually Laura decides, you know, okay, well, let's just go see if if this woman is, is the one. Yeah. You know, and... and Maybe there's know. a mistake. Maybe. Right. Yeah. So there's the, like, pulling back of the you know, proverbial curtain, you know, to, to reveal her. No, literally she was behind a curtain. Yeah. And yeah. And so like, but right before that, all the nurses were calling different hospitals. Like maybe she got brought to a different hospital. Nobody could find her. So you see her there. So yeah. So then they move the curtain and it's her. And at first I was like, Elizabeth, oh my goodness, what is going on? Are you okay? What's happening? Where's the baby? You know, what'd she say? She's just like, she was kind of not answering me. She was just like, yeah, I'm okay. And then um, I was like, well, I thought there was so much blood. Like, why are you in clean clothes? And she said, well, I brought a change of clothes. And, and you know. And where's the baby? And she's like, they brought her up to the NICU. And I was Along like, with her husband. No. And meanwhile, my son and I were, were waiting up in the NICU waiting room, waiting for all of this to happen. And, you know, we're still waiting. Laura's downstairs. I'm not hearing from her because she's involved in all of this, and I have no idea what's going on. And so, so I was like, Elizabeth, I don't know what is going on here. So I, I'm going to go talk to the nurses. And she was screaming my name. She didn't want me to leave the area where she was in, but I did. And I, I told the nurses, I don't know what's happening here. And so one of the nurses was like, Let me go talk to her. So she comes back out five minutes later. She's like, She's saying she doesn't know you. 
He doesn't know who you are. And I was like, you have got to be kidding me because I have so many messages back and forth. And I have pictures. this power of attorney that she signed. And I have pictures. Um, and they're like, well, that's what she's saying. So I was like, will you come back in there with me? So I went back in there and I kind of confronted her and said, how could you do this? This was the moment. How could basically. you do this to me? How could you do this to my family? It all hit you right then that there was no baby. Yeah. And I think I was in shock. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I was in shock. I was, my mind was trying to process what, how this all happened and what was happening. And so, um, she gave three different answers, right? Three different scenarios that she had lost the baby earlier, that there still was a baby. So she not only lied about the past, she lied about what was going to happen Next, she kept them on the hook saying, oh, there, there is a baby. I even interviewed her months later and she was saying, I didn't tell anyone, but I did have a baby and it was taken to a different hospital. She, she Google image searched a, a, um, a baby in the NICU and started sending the, the Google image wow. of a baby in the NICU out to people. That same saying, day she was uh, playing that. Matt and Laura Trait have joined us. Keith Sharon is here as well from the Orange County Register who brought this story to us in the first place. Um, we'll come back. We'll, we'll get into this a little bit more because this it's not over. I mean, the story itself is not over. And this is I, – I, I'm reminded of the fact this is just a few months old for you. Yeah. I mean, this was, you're talking about you were there in November. We're talking just a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, just – just hearing the story puts you through the emotional roller coaster and I can't even imagine it happening to you. Um, it's just uh, the, in the fact that we were talking off the air that, that you have since reached out to other birth mothers and they disappear when you start asking for things like proof of pregnancy. Like this woman is terrible, right? This Elizabeth Jones is a, a different brand of evil. And you hope that and she's there the are, only one. But there are more. Yeah. yeah. Which All is right. just sick. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Can you save my, can you save my dirty soul Gary and Shannon. <laughs> I didn't realize you had a small head. I didn't either. Uh, this show already in progress. Uh, we've been talking with Matt and Laura Trait. Uh, the story about this uh, this sad adventure that they went on in terms of finding a birth mother that they believed was going to give birth to their daughter uh, it turned out that this Elizabeth Jones woman um, had dead eyes. Is that right, Laura? You, I mean, that was a she did. She did. When I went in and said, Elizabeth, you know, how could you do this? And she was just staring at me. And and the only way I can explain it is that her eyes were just dead. Devoid of all, like void of all emotion. Mm. That's no what they emotion. say about killers. You know, like people who are able to escape killers. They say in that moment when they're doing their violent act that, that it's just there's nothing there. There's no emotion there, and that's what she was doing to you. Like she was, she was getting like the fruits of her labor of being this emotional psychopath, and she's seeing how upset you are, and that was like her criminal act. Like that's the only way I can think to describe mm-hmm. that. She yes. wanted to see it go to that point. I mean. Uh, to, to the point where she, again, was not pregnant. She told us exactly what hospital she was going to be at. She told us where she was in the hospital so that we we could see her. And, and she, I don't know, that she could see the expression on our faces when we found out that it was all a lie. 
we were 100% emotionally invested. She knew that. She knew she knew our story. She knew everything we had gone through. I had shared all of it with her and then some like things I don't normally talk to people about. I talked to her about. So she knew. She knew. Uh, when we come back, we're going to we're going to push our re- normal segment at noon cuz I want to know where where the story is right now. I mean, we've been talking about there's there's when we first did the story, part of our frustration about knowing the story was there didn't appear to be any sort of legal recourse on the horizon for this woman. There didn't appear to be any law, unfortunately, that she had broken, or at least nobody willing to press charges against her but to, to put her up. There was a prosecutor that dug and dug and dug to tie something on her and was successful. So we'll tell you about that um, because this is ongoing. Hmm. When we All come right. back, Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. Sometimes I feel like giving up, but I. Gary and Shannon. Again, the update from the White House, just that they have invited, uh, I haven't seen anybody show up yet, but uh, members of Congress to go to the White House today for a briefing on the uh, shoot-down, apparently, of an American drone in the uh, Persian Gulf. We'll talk about that. Uh, probably we get into Swamp Watch at 1230. We're with Orange County Register reporter Keith Sharon and the couple who he wrote about first in December, Matt and Laura Trait from Lake, uh, Lake Forest. And we're talking about this evil woman, Elizabeth Jones, who lied for months to them, believing, had them believe that she was going to be the birth mother for their adopted baby. And it turns out that she there was no baby. You guys uh, didn't send her a lot of money or anything like that. So there was no there wasn't a financial crime here. We um, never sent her a penny. And the the frustration, I've said this before, that when we did the story, we talked about it the first time, was that this woman did not appear to be in line for any sort of criminal uh, justice system apparatus at all. How does that change? How do you how are you able to start the process to get the wheels turning to make this happen? If there's a hero in this story, it's Chuck Slemp. Um, a prosecutor who he was appointed special prosecutor in Virginia, who I interviewed several times, and he's been uh, in phone contact with the traits who really, really put in a month or two uh, research to find a way to charge her. And what he found was that she had two uh, credit card fraud cases from her past, and while she was doing this lying to the traits. She was on probation for those crimes. And one of the things that hurt her the most was that this is a violation of her probation. Wow. So she's, uh, I think it was March was back when they originally filed charges. Um, And then just this week she was in court or supposed to be in court at least because she started, she started posting Facebook messages about you, right? Threats. Threats. Threats on Facebook and so when um, somebody actually sent it to me via Facebook Messenger, I had no idea because I've blocked her and I don't talk to her. But somebody sent it to me and I, um, I immediately sent it to the authorities and, and uh, you know, let them do their thing with it. Yeah, we've just been trying to be, I mean, from the moment it happened, from the moment we got back uh, to our Airbnb from the hospital that day, we got on the phone with everybody and anybody that we could, you know, child protective services, the sheriff's office over there, um, probation office, probation office, um, 
you know, media talking to Keith was was amazing. As soon as we got back, he helped get our story out. Um, and just the more that that we pushed, um, people had to listen. Yeah, it came down to reaching the right person on the right day. Just for weeks, weeks, we sat there and we made phone calls um, and just told everybody our story. And just one lady, it really um, hit home for her. And she said, wow, I'm going to have somebody call you back. And so within, I think, 20 minutes, we had we had uh, special investigators on the phone and people from the district attorney's office on the phone. And uh, and it went from there, I guess. And then Chuck got on it. Um, he's our special prosecutor. He's been amazing. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, him and his assistant, Ken Lammers, have done an amazing job. We're so grateful to them. So you're going to testify at so this are, hearing. Yeah. Is this the, the first time that you've seen her since that, that moment in the hospital? Yes. It will be. So uh, next week we'll be flying out there, and, and there have been nine indictments handed down on her um, right now. And those are larceny charges. Um, so we'll be going, and it'll be a jury trial next week, um, and we'll be testifying. Apparently, and- all of the interactions they had, the uh, paying for photographs, the paying for meals, um, uh, taking the kids to uh, amusement park, whatever, all of that is money trend. Uh, uh, money transaction between the two of them, and that's what they got her on. Larceny. The yeah. larceny yeah. That, that becomes a felony because of her probation history. Uh, and then, of course, she'd been arrested for this latest of Facebook messages for attempted obstruction of justice and attempting to intimidate a witness. So yeah. your son's nearly seven. Um, how did you explain this to him when it happened? How did he take it? That was one of the hardest parts, I think, is, you know, when you're a kid, you're so innocent of the evils of the world, you know, and, and bad guys are just in movies. And, um, so that was really hard when we can't really explain why ourselves, why this happened. It's hard trying to explain to him why it happened. Um, and and that was, you know, that was a, a process. It was really difficult. Um, he, he didn't understand why there was no baby. Um, you know, we just explained she, she lied to us, you know, she, she wasn't pregnant, us. she tricked us. And, you know, we, we had a moment together where we just, you know, cried in each other's arms. And, and um, you know, our, our biggest thing, in addition to trying to get justice, was trying to make sure that he was okay through all of this. And, um, you know, talk to a therapist, uh, you know, about whether or not he needed to go talk to a therapist as well. But he, he's just, he's amazing. You know, and um, we've just made sure that he can talk to us about anything, the way that he's feeling, um, the way that we're feeling. And I think that has been the biggest help is is just knowing that he can tell us how he feels and um, you know, we can be there for each other. He's yeah. And he expresses his feelings to us. And so, you know, we, we're in therapy because this has been like a, a psychological attack has had repercussions. And so like. The trauma of it has, you know, caused stress and anxiety and depression and, you know, uh, nightmares for me. But um, so, yeah, so we're in therapy. We talked to the therapist about talking to Hudson and she um, she thinks that as long as he's expressing his feelings with us and we talk about it, you know, he'll be okay. And he is okay. He's thriving, really. I think it's also important to note you guys haven't given up hope. We haven't given up hope. Uh, yeah, no, our profile is still up on adoption for my child, and uh, 
it's scary and we're going to be more careful, you know, but, but we're still hopeful. I still have it on my heart that there's another kid out there that's meant to be a part of our family. Oh, we can't thank you enough for coming in here today and, and getting your story out there as excruciating as it was and as it is, as you continue to deal with it. We really appreciate it because uh, we want to prevent this from ever happening to, to anybody else and, and not naive to think that that's the case. But if there's just one person that hears your story and is more skeptical from from go, um, you know, it, it's worth it. So really appreciate you guys coming in. Absolutely. Thank Thank you you. for having us. Matt and Laura Trait and, of course, uh, course Keith Sharon from the OC Register. Keith, um, we talked before, of course, about the Crime Beat podcast, the Stealing Nixon's Millions. So you can check that out, of course. uh, Thanks. Of course. (laughs) What do you mean? Uh, And if you're an Angels fan, Keith Sharon is a huge Angels fan. You follow him on Twitter. Yeah, he'll live tweet the games. And we'd like to thank Keith as well for all of uh, his help in, in getting our story out there and the time he's taken to you know, dedicate to making sure we help other people. Awesome. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Know that it's a tough story to tell. So glad that you guys would would come here and tell us to it. All right. uh, We come back. We're going to do our trending stories. We have Swamp Watch to get into. We'll talk about what's going on at the White House and, of course, around the the globe on the other side. That's uh, the drone that was apparently shot down by some Iranian forces very early today. Home, where families connect and memories are made. Find your new home with PenFed, a mortgage partner who brings confidence and value to your home buying experience. They offer low rates and no lender fees and can even help you find a real estate agent through their trusted partners. Let PenFed bring you home. Visit PenFed.org home or call 1-800-970-7766. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Gary and Shannon, man. heavy stuff, man. Gotta come down from that. Uh, I mean, that like emotions. You felt emotions. I think I saw you feeling emotions. You don't know anything. Feel angry. Well, I can't imagine such sadness for them. You asked a great question of Matt just now. uh, Of what do you what do you tell your son? You know, Hudson is now seven uh, or is about to turn seven. How do you tell your son the excitement of we're going to have a baby sister for you and you're going to have, you know, you're going to be a big brother. And then this evil, evil woman had manipulated the whole situation. How confusing would that be for a seven-year-old? Yeah. And you can't, it's not, you you don't pull punches. You have to explain that you got tricked. But at the same time, you don't want to ruin the kids, you know. You don't want to extinguish the flame of optimism in a seven-year-old right away. But that's going to be one of the major things that has happened in his life. Ugh. You know, that he's always going to remember. And and it's just... I, and the fact that they're still optimistic. And the fact that they said that the thing that, that that's staying with me is, you know, I've, I've been mad at this woman since we first heard the story in December. Right. Um, but when they told us today that four or five other alleged birth mothers also have disappeared once they start asking for things like proof of pregnancy yeah. that there's like a there's a there's more there there's a group of people out there they're trying to take advantage of people that simply want a family and the numbers uh 
that that uh, Laura was referring to that there would be two million couples out there that are looking to adopt, but that there are less than one hundred and fifty thousand kids who are up for adoption in the country, that that margin is ridiculously ripe for uh, makes it ridiculously ripe for people to take advantage of. And when you want a child so badly, you know, you want to believe in these people. You want to believe that it's happening for you because the want is that big. We're going to make sure that we uh, we post that whole thing as a podcast that, that can stand alone so you can hear Matt and Laura's story, uh, along with Keith, who uh, helped bring this story to light. And uh, we'll, we'll check back in with them because I know that they're going to be in, in Virginia next week to testify against this woman. Let's and, follow this. Yeah. I want to know what's going on with this court case. And you know what? We should get the prosecutor on, too. Yeah. We should interview him um, and, and find out his quest for how to pin something on this woman, charge her with something. All right. What else is going on today? Time for What's Happening. Well, we'll do more of this in Swamp Watch, and probably over the next half an hour we'll get some more information. But it looks like the uh, Iranian Republican Guard has shot down a Navy RQ-4A Global Hawk drone, which does not have a man in it. Um, and the U.S. CENTCOM leaders today said this was an unprovoked strike. The uh, false justifications for it don't make any sense. Iran says that this drone was flying within Iranian airspace. The uh, As Brian Suits explained to us a little bit earlier, you can clearly check, um, because of the uh, the transponder that's in these these vehicles, you can clearly check and see that it was not in international waters when it was shot down super early in the morning local time. Roy Moore has announced another run for the U.S. Senate. Did he do it on a horse again? No, he he voted on a horse. That's what he yes. did. Yes. Uh, Roy Moore. Yes, that Roy Moore, who uh, lost his campaign, his last campaign for the Senate, when nine women accused him of inappropriate sexual conduct. Women that said they were sexually assaulted him by him when they were like 14 and 16 years old. There is a uh, sad story trending here in the state of California from up north. Sacramento Police Department announced very early this morning that uh, Officer Tara O'Sullivan, a 26-year-old police officer, was shot and killed. She had been attacked by a gunman during domestic violence assistance call in the northern part of Sacramento. Kevin Spacey is back in the news. A man who says that Kevin Spacey groped him at a bar cannot find the cell phone that he was ordered to turn over to the defense. Spacey's lawyers have demanded the phone so they can try to recover text messages that would support Kevin Spacey's claims of innocence, saying that this was uh, mutual. Uh. well, I guess it wasn't necessarily the phone that he has now, but I find it hard to believe that somebody who is 20 years old, 20, 21 years old, wouldn't know where their phone is. I assume they mean it was a phone that had been used previously. Maybe he switched phones since then. Right. I mean, not everybody keeps their old phones. I guess. I mean, yes, but that would be the only thing that makes sense. Matt Lauer did not show up in a single moment on the Today Show's 25-year uh, montage. Uh, Matt Lauer, by the way, who was a co-host of the show for 20 of those years. It's a five-and-a-half-minute video, and it's got Savannah Guthrie in there. It's got Al Roker, Hoda, Lester Holt, 
Jenna Bush, Carson Daly, Katie Couric, Bryant Gumbel, but no Matt Lauer. Matt Lauer I was just going to pretend he didn't exist. He was a part of the show for 20 years until he was fired for sexual misconduct. Uh, <laughs> pretty funny. I don't think it's funny, but what what are you going to do? You're Of course you're not going to put him in there. You right. can't. You can't do that. But it's just, then why have a montage celebrating 25 years if one of the key people of that 25 years yeah. was somebody that you're going to pretend it did not exist? Matt who? I'm sorry. Was it Luer? I don't remember how you say that. Luer? Lauer? I don't get it. All right, Swamp Watch when we come back. Oh, uh, some Eric Swalwell news. And- oh, I can't wait. You know what? I woke <laughs> up this morning and I said, what do I want to have happen in my day? Uh, Give me some Eric Swalwell news. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about our presidential election fantasy league draft. I that can't we're be wait. Doing tomorrow. Gary and Shannon <laughs> will continue in a moment. We could be legends after Gary and Shannon. Senator Lindsey Graham saying this moment is a test for President Trump. When it comes to the situation with Iran, the escalating tensions there. Hey, let's start Swamp Watch with this whole thing with Iran. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Well, some of the nuts and bolts of this, uh, a Navy drone was shot down. Iran says it was over Iranian airspace. CENTCOM says it was over international waters when it was shot down. Uh, But the the message is very clear. They don't like what we're doing. As Brian Suits, host of Dark Secret Place, told us in the uh, 1030 segment today, this is the Iranian Republican Guard that is uh, that is acting, not necessarily on behalf of the Iranian government or the Iranian people, but trying to get some sort of American involvement ramped up in the Middle East so that they could uh, pick a fight, basically. The president tweeted that Iran made a very big mistake. He tried to downplay the incident later, telling reporters in the Oval Office they had a feeling that uh, a general or somebody was just being loose and stupid. Obviously, you know, we're not going to be talking too much about it. You're going to find out they made a very big mistake. Yeah. And when he said it, when he tweeted it this morning, that's all he said. Iran has made a big mistake. It sounded like it was uh, you have now awakened a powerful force that will come down upon you with great fire and fury. But when he said it in the news conference where he was sitting in the Oval Office with uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, it sounded more like, oh, we believe that this may have been the act of uh, a rogue general. I don't know. I, I find it hard to believe it was intentional, if you want to know the truth. I think that it could have been somebody who was uh, loose and stupid. That did it. This is stupid. I love that. This all started, of course, about a year ago when the president withdrew the United States from Iran's 2015 nuclear deal and imposed new sanctions that have actually crippled Iran um, economically, no doubt about it. And then recently, Iran quadrupled its production of the low enriched uranium to be on pace to break that that deal's terms by the end of what next week, this week, next week. Threatened to raise enrichment closer to weapons grade levels. 
by July 7th if Europe doesn't offer it a new deal? I um, have not seen much in terms of the international response to this. What sort of uh, uh, what sort of response the G- German government Euro- or the French well, government or the European Union is going to chair a meeting of all the countries involved in that nuclear deal in Vienna next week in about eight days. They say that besides the European Union, it's going to be attended by China, France, Germany, Russia, Britain, and Iran. So this is going to be a big freaking deal. Um, do you have any idea who the Secretary General of the United Nations is right now? I saw the name this morning, and I did not remember who that was. We need to do better uh, about that. I don't know anybody who would know the name of the current Secretary General of the United Nations. Uh, but just if you're keeping score, Antonio Guterres is the current Secretary General of the United Nations. He has said that we all need to exercise maximum restraint to try to avoid any further escalation. Following the shooting down of an American drone, a spokesperson for the U.N. said Guterres is very concerned and is calling on the parties to avoid any action that could inflame the situation. The Iranian government had come out and said, we don't want war. We don't want to have anything to do with it. and We're not going to war, but we're ready if it comes to our doorstep, was basically what he was saying. Uh, there is a... Uh, There's also a statement from Nancy Pelosi today. She was asking, she had been asked several times about what was going on with Iran. She's one of the members of Congress who right now is getting an update at the White House about the escalation with tensions with Iran. We are expecting some members of Congress to come out and make statements of something at 1 o'clock. Serena Marshall is on Capitol Hill. She's going to join us, and we're going to try to get a, a recap, perhaps, about what's been going on. The other thing about Nancy Pelosi She made a comment which I don't quite understand. Uh, She's talking about impeachment, or she was asked about impeachment. And she said today that if the House does move forward with impeachment proceedings, it will be because members are ready to vote to impeach President Trump. Does that make any sense? We'll do it when we're ready to do it. I don't get that. I don't believe anything that, that I hear from her. On this topic, I just feel like there's two different. She's saying two different things. Exactly. She's saying to the people in her, in the Democratic yeah. Party, "Trust me, we're gonna get, we're going to get my my little pretty." Right. And then she comes out to the podium and says, "Well, we know there's no it's, real public appetite it, for it, so we're probably not going to do it anytime soon." She didn't order the code red. No, and she's not going to. She said, "She said when we stop finding more information." That's when she said that that would be the red line in the stand for her to start the impeachment proceedings is when we stop finding even more information. That's the that's the biggest cop out I've ever heard her say. Good old Roy Moore is making news in Washington because he (laughs) is going to run for Senate, the Senate in 2020. He had an event in Montgomery, Alabama today saying, I will run for the U.S. Senate in 2020. Can I win? Yes, I can win. Despite the fact that the president and Republicans say, sit down off the stage. The last time we talked about Roy Moore, we were talking about all the allegations of sexual misconduct with teenage girls back in the 70s. Um, And he lost his seat because of those allegations in that solidly Republican state to a Democrat, Doug Jones. Remember, there was a, a special election there. When Jeff Sessions left. All right, we'll come back. Uh, this big teaser. I have Eric Swalwell news, and we'll That's talk. That's the second time you've used Eric Swalwell I know. And as look a at tease. You. And look at you. You are on the edge of your seat. 
We'll pay off on that Eric Swalwell <laughs> teaser. Um, and we'll also talk about tomorrow's big day. Oh, it's a huge day. We're going to have pizza. That's not what... Well, I mean, we are going to have pizza, but that's not what makes it the big day. The big day is that we are going to go through and choose our presidential election fantasy league me, uh, team members. Where we're going to go through and draft out of all... I think it's 25 I have on the list... 25 names of people running for the Democratic nomination for president. We'll talk about that when we come back as well. Gary and Shannon. See, you can't even think straight. You're like, what is Eric Swalwell doing? I need to know. (laughs) Can you tell me just a little bit more? Yes, it has to do with running for president. Oh, my gosh. I I can't even. Get it? 357. We have such Don't odd ways of showing love around here. That's not what I call that. No? <laughs> you don't think Oscar loves us? <laughs> You're still upset that he left the show. Uh, listen. But if it wasn't for Oscar leaving, we would never have Nick. Well, we were talking earlier about, you know, saying offensive things. Yeah. And, uh... Are you talking about the amount of S that you and I talk? Yeah, that's part of it. Um, but I was also talking about the term that I came up with earlier that you cannot oh, say yeah. uh, to describe bad people. No, no, you can't. Um, I have never heard that term before. Oh, I think it's a new one. And uh, I applaud you. It might be you. a medical term. I applaud you for your creativity. What's the first letter of it? C. What's the second letter of it? Nick, I'm, I'm not. No, I'm not Carol, going. I'm not telling you the Carol, second letter. Nick, I'll write it down for you, but yeah. you can't. Carol, I'll, I'll bring it over to the window. Throw it right. on the glass. Yeah. Hold yeah. On. I got I, I wrote. I crinkled up the first one. There. There. You show that to Nick and show him how a horrible of a person I am. This is what Gary came up with. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is creative. Like, that is dark, yeah, but it's to describe bad people. So the imagery. I like I'm gonna keep I... this post-it. No, <laughs> you can't. Put it on the fridge. It's just, it's Frame everything. it and put it above your I'm desk. I'm gonna talk to your mother about this. That's a my FM sticker. Uh, uh, post it. Post it. No, they'll. No. What right. a phrase. Oh, let me show Monica. Up. Hold on. <laughs> Valentine would never allow me to listen oh, again. <clears throat> can you read that? You can read that. Right? <laughs> She said gross. Uh, Okay, back to Swamp Watch. Talk about what's going on in D.C. and for the people who want to get to D.C., including this guy. I'm ready to solve these problems. I'm running for president of the United States. Everybody knows Eric Swalwell. If you don't draft Eric Swalwell, then you're a failure. Well, listen, other people could jump in and, and draft him ahead of me, but... Eric Swalwell, the congressman from the great state of California, says that he will keep running for president as long as he's still in it. He was never in it, Gary. No, I know that. He doesn't. Do not tell him. If he gets cut from the Democrats' debate stage, he says, 
he could run to keep his East Bay congressional seat. The deadline is going to be December, which would be the last chance to register to run again for Congress here in the great state of California. Um, the He's not even on the real clear no. politics polling data no, graph. He's in the others when it comes to that. He's like a member. They don't even of, have an others. They've got literally everyone but Eric Swalwell. Uh, he's he, not even... Re- Registering, He did qualify for the first debate, they said, but he probably is going to lose his spot by a debate in July if more candidates qualify and strong uh, and poll any stronger than he does. Because remember, he's getting about six more votes than we are and we're not running. So the idea that Eric Swalwell is going to stay in this is pretty crazy. Do we know for a fact that we're not running? uh, I think we'd have to get into it by now if we... I don't know when the deadline would be. Hmm. Nick, could you figure out like the paperwork that we would? Yeah, when do we have to, to register and to run? For and president? can we run as two people, like president, or vice president? You can be the president. I'll be the vice president. I want the vice president. No, 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 no. no. I want the. I want to be vice president. What? Who fights over vice president? There's nothing to do when you're what vice president. Job it's do the you best. Have? It's a title, and then you just sit on your ass. When you look at Mike Pence, do you go, "Oh God, that guy's stressed out." Right, he's busy. <laughs> uh, all right, tomorrow is going to be a big day. Tomorrow is actually, I think, Saturday is the day that marks 500 days until the election. Again, I think that's Saturday. But we don't work on Saturday. So tomorrow, on our 501st day until the election in 2020, we are going to do kind of a takeoff of what we did before, um, four years ago, for the presidential election, is we're going to do our presidential election fantasy league. And what we'll do is we will pick out of a hat what our draft order is. And then yeah, we like and that. then we'll take turns picking until all the candidates have have been chosen. Blake wants to go like six layers deeper than that and give everybody a certain budget and then go around and bid on different. No, 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 it's no. So great. We're doing it like the Yahoo fantasy football way. Yeah, from two thousand. Mine was Yahoo. Uh, that's, that's the one that's that many, like, my many parents layers. do. Oh, it's so boring. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. Oh, it's calm down. You boring. just don't want to lose again. I have I have a lot riding on this. You do your pride. Jeff, do you you look at me every day? Do I strike you as a guy with a whole mountain full of pride? Maybe that's why you avoid fantasy sports so much. That's where you base your. Are you calling me out for not wasting money on fantasy sports? Uh, you're getting really upset right now. It's because <laughs> my mountain of pride is about to turn into a volcano. I don't think I've seen a lot of this anger before. Well. Lake's prefrontal cortex is just now starting to firm up a little bit. It's very easy to get you riled up on that. <laughs> we're going to go through and we're going to pick from. That laugh is not a happy the, laugh, by the way. From the Democrats <laughs> I'm who are okay running. I'm with that. I'm going home in an hour. And uh, what, what we'll do is, you know, it's basically last man standing, whoever or woman, because, uh, you know, we play equally here, uh, whoever gets to be whoever wins the nomination, I guess, is going to win our presidential election fantasy league. I only know of one Republican who is running outside of President Trump, clearly, and that would be mm. Bill Weld, who was Gary Johnson's vice presidential candidate four years ago. All right. So um, I don't I guess you could say if you want to pick Bill Weld, you can. But really what we're waiting for is or what we're going to wade through is the uh, field of Democratic candidates. And then. Here's the thing. Not only does the number one 
whoever's still standing after the the Democratic convention, you win. It's when your if a member of your team that you draft drops out of the race, you have to on the air read an open letter, an open love letter to that person. Dear Eric Swalwell. Dear Eric Swalwell. We loved your announcement because it let us know who you are because we have never heard of you before. I loved your hair. But America didn't because you're a white man and you never had a shot, Eric. We both know. I know it. You know it. Outside of the city of Dublin, you were an unknown. But you captured our hearts. Right now I'm Googling you because I don't remember what you look like. I ran out of facts about you to tell everyone. <laughs> I have to now find out where you live. Anyway. You look like a backup quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> so tomorrow we're going to have fun and you can have fun along with us. And uh, we are going to pick our, uh, our teams for the presidential election fantasy league. All right. When we come back, a little bit more serious, Serena Marshall is going to join us from Capitol Hill. The uh, members of Congress are getting an update right now at the White House about what's been going on with Iran, the ratcheting up of tension after Iran shot down an unmanned drone over the Strait of Hormuz. We'll talk all about that coming up on Gary and Chan. I just don't know how you came up with this term of endearment. We now rejoin our program already in progress. Like, this is a very colorful term. Profane and colorful. I think we need to get rid of it. We're not. I, I, I only like said I, that because of, we spent more than an hour talking with Matt and Laura about how they were completely <laughs> duped by this woman who said that she was pregnant and going to give birth. And I used that to describe the evil person who did that to them. Have you ever uh, used these words together before? Never. But I love you a little more for it. And I've never said that. <laughs> I don't say that other word. That's not a well, word. You said it today. I feel bad. <laughs> Bottom of this hour, we're going to get a strange science. One of the other great reasons why dogs are so far above. We don't deserve them, and we're just lucky to have them. So take advantage of the fact that you have a dog in your house. Or I do. I have a dog in my house. Uh, we'll talk about that. Also, uh, Mark Saltzman's going to join us in a few minutes. And we'll talk a little bit more about this new uh, cryptocurrency that Facebook has put in there called, uh, called Libra. Maybe he can explain it to us. Well, there has been a classified briefing on Iran with congressional leaders, uh, Sen- uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, said post-meeting that this moment, this escalating issue with Iran, is a test for the president. Serena Marshall is joining us covering the story for ABC News and for KFI. Serena, how's it going? Hey, Gary. Hey, Shannon. Um, tell us about this meeting that took place, not just leaders of Congress, but also uh, leaders of the Intelligence and Armed Services Committees. 
Yeah, well, there's two different briefings happening today. Okay. One already happened. It was a classified briefing on Iran with congressional leaders on Capitol Hill. But right now, there's an ongoing meeting at the White House in the Situation Room, including uh, Pelosi, McCarthy, McConnell, Schumer. Those are the top members of both parties from the House and Senate, along with chairman and ranking members of the House and Senate Intelligence Committees and Armed Services Committees. That is ongoing. We should hopefully get a little bit more on that once it ends. A couple of those members were expected to come out and speak to us. What is it that Congress wants from the president here? Uh, it's not like we've seen any declaration of war for several decades. So what is it that, the pre- that, that Congress is going to try to get from the White House here? Well, that's a really good question. Before Iran shot down this U.S. drone, uh, the members of Congress, especially Democrats, were saying the United States government cannot use that decades-old AUMF to declare war on Iran, which is what they thought they were going to do. Now, that AUMF was passed post 9-11 in order to allow uh, the United States to essentially the war on terror, go to war with anybody who helps support uh, the extremists who attack the United States. The administration, according to some members, is trying to make that tie between al-Qaeda and Iran. And many members, particularly Democrats, are saying that they don't buy that connection, that it's weak at best. But now that Iran has shot down this drone, this $120 million highly sophisticated drone, and the United States government says occurred in international waters, calling it a provocation, uh, that could change the temperature. Now, most members we have spoken to today are not ready to say that they want any kind of military action, but they are saying they need to ramp up sanctions, ramp up pressure on Iran, but they are staying away from any kind of military intervention. So the White House invited a group of the leadership uh, over, invited them over today uh, for this afternoon. And I'm I'm just uh, remembering the last time that Pelosi and Schumer met with the president when they were supposed to discuss infrastructure and how well that went. Um, well, this is a little different, though, because yeah. <laughs> unlike that, where they're trying to come to terms on uh, domestic policy, this is supposed to be a briefing to inform the members about what they know about Iran, the intelligence that they have, those oil tankers, the sabotage uh, intelligence. They also include likely a lot of top National Security Council officials, possibly even members from the Department of Defense, including the acting Secretary of Defense. Uh, and so the idea here is to give them a briefing so they know where things stand when it comes to how they move forward, whether that's militarily or with ramped up pressure. The European Union is going to chair a meeting of uh, the countries involved in the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, besides the EU, China, France, Germany, Russia, Britain, Iran will all be there. Do we? Is there any way to know if we would be in the room as well? I mean, I know that the administration pulled out of the nuclear deal, and that's kind of what started this whole mess. But um, if, if we would want somebody in the room for that meeting next week? I mean, possibly somebody from Congress could try and uh, encourage uh, perhaps our ambassador to attend that meeting. Remember, we don't have a U.N. ambassador who's confirmed right now. That would probably be the individual who would attend, or Secretary of State Mike Pompeo could. But you're right. Since the United States pulled out of that nuclear deal, uh, it'd be hard-pressed for them to send somebody to this meeting, because this meeting is supposed to be occurring to help renegotiate terms. Remember, Iran just a couple days ago said, we're going to surpass our enrichment of uranium in the next 10 days unless we get some easing of economic pressure. Now, the United States says, we're not going to ease pressure until you change your way. Ways, but perhaps they can come to some new deal with all of the rest of those those foreign powers uh, to try and give them some easement in order to not have them break that threshold limit. Absolutely fascinating. All right, Serena, thank you. Appreciate it.
Thanks, guys. Serena Marshall there with the latest from Capitol Hill. And again, this second of the briefings is going on right now at the White House, and we are expecting members of Congress to come out of that briefing and make some comments. There are microphones set up outside the uh, little circular driveway outside the White House. Uh, the White House. So when we uh, when we see them, we'll try to bring you those comments live. Are you so excited about these new YouTube filters that will allow you to try on makeup? You know, ever since that whole James Charles thing went south, I don't feel like I'm in love with it anymore. James Charles. Oh, my God. Did you read up on that whole thing? Oh, sweetie. Oh, Listen, oh honey. My, 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 <laughs> I blame my wife. but I just had to Google. She was fascinated at this whole James <laughs> Charles thing and the, the um, uh, what would you call it, the beef that he had with, yes. was it Tat- Tatiana? Yeah, Tati. Tati. Tati Westbrook. Yeah. yeah. And... They both posted explainers, like long 20, 20, 30 minute explainers about their beef back and forth. Who's Tati? She's another social media influencer. I'm very surprised that Gary knows about this, honestly. You don't get to throw things at Monica. Uh, She didn't see it, so it doesn't count. Usually this would not be in your purview. This fight over makeup, right? Yeah. You guys, there's a lot of Over facets sponsors to me and that you guys don't know. We will not put you in a I box. I am a no. complicated animal. You are. I'm like the Eric Swalwell of this place. When you dressed up like Marilyn Monroe for Conway's birthday in mm-hmm. your white halter dress, yes. did you wear makeup? I had lipstick on. Yeah, you did. Okay, <laughs> was that a test? You were gonna, you were gonna test me? Do you remember what brand it was? Red. It was red. Okay. It was All right. Red. We, 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 you're still towing the line here, Gary. Oh, did your right. wife put it on you or did you apply it yourself? Yes, Blake. Oh, Micah was wondering if you're willing to wear that to, to our wedding so that less people are looking at her. Only if I'm officiating. And you told me I'm down the list Wait, when it comes to officiant. I, oh, so who's higher would, up on the you list? You would be the perfect her officiant. Father, the pastor? I mean, uh, between Gary and I, because oh. we're both officiants. <laughs> Oh, I would. You pick also Gary. don't have to choose. Screw you can you, have us Monica. both do it, <laughs> and I that's exactly why you would lose if that we race. Got to the point I, in I put the on list, a good wedding, guys. If we got to the point in the list where you guys were under consideration, it would be both of you. Aww, Lake, oh, sweet. You got to pick one. No, one you don't. Person. Stop trying to divide us. <laughs> it's our diversity that is our strength. It's our diversity. It's our, it's our <laughs> unity. It's service. our power. Something. <laughs> Uh, update on the story that we've been following, of course. There is a White House briefing going on right now. Members of Congress are getting an update from the White House and from uh, intelligence agencies about what happened very early today. A Navy drone was shot down over the Strait of Hormuz. We say, of course, it was international waters. Iran says it was over Iranian airspace or in Iranian airspace, and that's why they shot it down. They considered it a provocation. So we'll follow that story when and if there is uh, some sort of comments made by members of Congress. Sports story to update you on. I hadn't heard this before. Rob Manfred, who currently is the uh, commissioner of Major League Baseball, has propositioned the Tampa Rays, Tampa Bay Rays, to play half of their games in Tampa Bay 
and the other half back in Montreal, or I should say the other half in Montreal. That way Tampa keeps a team, but Montreal gets baseball again. I don't think that's a good idea. Don't, no. Don't split the team like that. Why would you do that? Uh, just... They win one NBA championship, no. and now we're just giving teams <laughs> right. away? No, they right. had, no like, hold on a second. Montreal had a baseball team for a very long time. So it's not the like Expos. Right. So it's not um, like we'd be giving Yeah, but them. here's the thing. Logistically, that would be a nightmare for a team. Yeah. You know what? I know who we can talk to about this. The machines are getting smarter. This is Tech Talk. Brought to you by Skynet. I don't even mean to do that. I guess not. Well, you're a professional, Gary. So it just It's all about the segues. It is all about the segues. It's like magic. Uh, Why are you trying to steal baseball? Mark, I'm not. Yeah, what? What's going on? (laughs) Yeah, buddy. What's up with you, buddy? Uh, Yeah, I know, right? One NBA championship and look at us, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you even. Shootings at our parade. Drake going crazy again. You even took the the violence uh, from our parades. (laughs) Right. You guys love us. You know, it's the Laker fans that like to, you know, set trees on fire and shoot people. That's our thing. Mark Salt. Out of two million people. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to do your quick official intro. But Thank you. <laughs> Mark Saltzman, uh, writer for USA Today and AARP and Costco Connection and all those different places and also host of the great podcast, Tech It Out, which you can find on the iHeartRadio app. And a new place. television show on CNBC that you yeah, can catch. Soon. Yeah, in about three weeks. Thanks, Shannon. Good And good to see you guys, Gary. Last, uh, last week I was in the studio. So now I'm back in the Great White North uh, after the big win. And, uh, yeah, the parade on Monday, 2 million people. So, yeah, it's still a blemish on the city to have a couple people shot, not fatally at least, but still looks well, bad could, and very un-Canadian. But what do you it, mean? It's very Canadian to shoot somebody and not kill them. Well, wait a sec. Hold on. They, first of all, they were – yeah, that's true. Then we apologize. Right? Yes. Uh, they were from Detroit, actually. I the team, knew the it. Two, you know, yeah. So, but hey, but hey. You know, still not good. But Mark, yeah, no, this Expos thing is weird. Mark, can you explain to us Libra? Because uh, our P brains over here uh, can't really figure out the whole cryptocurrency situation that Facebook is trying to fancy yeah. themselves. You're not. It's really not for our market. It's more for developing countries where folks don't have easy access to banks and credit cards, but they have a phone, right? They have a mobile phone. So it is a cryptocurrency that's supposed to launch uh, by from Facebook along with 27 other partners next year. It's a little bit like Bitcoin where it's not tied to one bank or tied to one country. It's an international digital currency and a little bit like PayPal. So you can send money from peer to peer. So one person says, hey, you owe me 20 bucks. You send it to them over your phone, over Facebook or WhatsApp or um, a dedicated Libra app. And then um, you can also down the road buy things at retailers who support it, whether it's online, which I think will start and then brick and mortar. If you're willing to tap your phone and then your money comes out of your Libra account. And what you're going to need to first do is of course, add some funds to Libra and you can do so in different ways, but imagine a small village in, I don't know, in Northern India or Southern Africa, they will go to a local area in their village or in their store, and they're going to trade real local currency for Libra coins or credits or whatever it will be officially called. And then they'll have it on their phone, so to speak. And then it'll allow them to transact because right now it's very difficult to do so. So imagine, you know, uh, sending somebody money uh, securely that way or paying for your rent. You're a student and you need to pay for your rent instead of giving a check, which is, uh, you know, not secure uh, to do so digitally. So that's the idea behind Libra. But of course, people are concerned because it's Facebook. 
But that same reason, uh, you know, concern for privacy, that same reason gives Facebook sort of a, a leg up immediately when they get into the cryptocurrency market, doesn't it? Well, they're smart not to take ownership of this Libra Association. So they are just one vote out of you know oh, 28 okay. or something like that. So they're smart in what they're doing. There's 28 players, including Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, eBay, even Uber and Lyft have a vested interest. Every company has to donate, I think, $10 million just to be on the board. And then they also have to make sure it's... And, and Facebook assures uh, the audience that that was a part of this announcement on Tuesday that your Facebook data is not going to be in any which way tied to what you buy. So if you shop with Libra credits and you buy a, I don't know, an NBA jersey for the Toronto, Toronto Raptors, <laughs> you're not, you know, just an example. Right. Uh, you're not going to be fed NBA, you know, um, you know, merch marketing on your Facebook profile. So they say, and they know that they're under the microscope right now with all of the privacy and security uh, issues over the past couple of years. So they're really trying to handle this properly. But it has the potential of being a pretty big global currency. And without the volatility that we're seeing with Bitcoin, where it's up 10% one day, down 15% the next day, because there's so many players and so many experts that are being hired for this that they really want to keep it nice and smooth. Uh, Don't have to answer if you don't want to. Do you have cryptocurrency in your financial portfolio? I don't. I find it uh, too volatile. It's too risky for me. I don't. I don't. I'm not like that much of a gambler. I have a friend, this guy Ed, who bought and told me about Bitcoin back in 2010 or 2011. In fact, I had him on uh, a radio show that I hosted at the time, and he was one of the first to ever tell me about it. So we're going back seven, eight, nine years, and he is now a quote unquote Bitcoin Bitcoin multimillionaire. Mm-hmm. He's cashed out a little bit, but he owns many bitcoins each of which are are worth a lot today uh so yeah he's he's in that kind of i told you so kind of uh, mode but who knows who knows what's gonna happen it's too risky for me yeah i agree mark thank you so much for joining us appreciate it good to see yeah, you and and chat with you about uh baseball and basketball and tech <laughs> yeah of course and maybe some tech on the side yeah, sure mix it in all right and don't forget you could follow mark on uh, twitter mark uh, with a c underscore saltzman uh, you can also find the Tech It Out podcast right on the iHeartRadio app along with all the other podcasts that are out there. All right, when we come back, some good uh, some good science stories. Horns are growing on young people's skulls. And guess what's to blame? Just get, I'll give you one choice. Instagram. Yes. I knew it. I knew it! Gary and Channel will continue in just a moment. Such leg envy. USA. I want those legs. USA. You watching that soccer <laughs> match in there, Monica? I wish. Did I just trigger you with talking about legs? You sure did. I, I peeked over. I'm like, oh, legs? I know what? it's one of your hot spots. The, uh... These women keep getting injured. Well, they keep stepping on each other's feet. That's uh, hard to avoid in soccer, I assume. But USA taking on uh, Sweden in World Cup Group F matchups. So you think I should just do weighted squats? 
Well, that's not all you do, but I guarantee you that those women could probably squat about 7,000 pounds. Oh, man. <laughs> you could put a car on their back and they'd be able to do about six or eight reps on that. Those legs. Yeah, if you ever get pinned by a vehicle, I'm sure they'd be able to rescue you. <laughs> if you ever get pinned by a soccer player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Hey, um, again, standing by for whatever news conference happens after the uh, White House meeting regarding Iran. They have members of Congress that are there, leadership from Congress, talking about uh, what the United States' response would be, if any, to the downing of an American drone over the Gulf of uh, uh, Gulf of Oman. Well, Nick has gathered a bunch of science-y stories here. There's, they're different. Um, what would you call them? Strange. Strange, huh? Yeah. Oh, strange science. Yeah. It's like weird science, but strange. Well, kids, it looks like our phones are from the devil. Are from the devil. You know what the devil has? Horns. And you know what you have, kid? New research in biomechanics suggests that young people are developing horn-like spikes at the back of their skulls. They're bone spurs caused by the forward tilt of the head, which shifts weight from the spine to the muscles at the back of the head, causing the bone growth in the connecting tendons and ligaments. Do you want to know where to check for your horns? Of course you do. What are you doing? I'm checking for my horns. (laughs) It's it's higher than that. It's up on the skull. Yeah. yeah, where She's giving you look like you're giving yourself a massage. It'd be right there, right in the area, right back there. They say that uh, this weight transfer causes the buildup compared to the can can be compared to the weight that the skin thickens into a callus. They say the result is a hook or a horn like feature jutting out from the skull just above the neck. I don't think you have. I don't them. have them. I've never noticed a uh, a horn on the back of your head. <laughs> Uh, They say that the smartphones, clearly other handheld devices, are contorting the human form, requiring users to bend their heads forward to make sense of what's happening on those miniature screens. The other thing that I've noticed as well is not just the neck and the thumb, but shoulders. I mean, everybody's shoulders roll forward when you're sitting there either hunched over your computer or you're hunched over your phone. I've been trying to not Candy do that. Crush. I've been trying to work on that whole thing. Right. you got to sit up yeah, straight. sit up straight. And if there was a way for for you to look at your stuff, look at your phone, your tablet, whatever, above your head, you know, like you set your, your computer monitor up higher, you set your phone up higher, whatever, while you're doing it, that wouldn't alleviate everything, but at least it would mix it up a little bit health experts are warning of text neck doctors have begun treating texting thumb which is not a clearly defined condition but it does bear resemblance to carpal tunnel syndrome man but everybody says everything's fine here's here's a question though i mean before phones weren't we looking down all the time anyway like work or school or whatever aren't you always looking down at something on like your desk yeah but for hours a day but when you were when you walked home or you walked to the oh, bus or true. when you did anything else, have you, you weren't doing that. Have you seen that footage from New York City in the 90s? And it's like a really crowded street and uh, and people are losing their minds over it because no one's on their phone. Yeah. And now you go to New York, right, or any busy. We don't really have them here in L.A., but like 
busy pedestrian traffic and everyone's on their phone, like maybe Third Street Promenade, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone's on their phone. And it's odd now to see footage of people without phones. Without their phones. Uh, If you run also, that to me, this is the weirdest phenomenon is people running while looking down at their phones. Oh, really? I haven't seen that. It's usually, I'm assuming, because I don't spend a lot of, I mean, they're running, so I don't have a lot of time to watch them. I'm assuming it's like uh, I'm looking at the map or I'm changing the song song, or I'm checking the quick text message that just came in and they're not reading something while they're running. And and when I'm running, I will look at it to change the song or to check a text message, but it's momentary. It's it's quick. It better be because even then you run the risk of completely ass over tea kettle in front of an entire city. Listen, I don't need a phone to do that. Remember when I fell on the treadmill in front of that? huge group of people have they ever have they put that treadmill back in operation yet yeah oh yeah it's still there <laughs> and it's got a dent in it that easy yeah i just mean because you're all elbows once you go down you're pow pow you're putting does it still have the out of order sign on it or dogs we don't deserve them and we'll tell you why when yeah. we come back yeah I don't deserve the bullying that's happening. Is that what that is? <laughs> yes. Gary and Shannon will continue. The New York Times did a deep dive on the Democratic candidates. And they asked each candidate what their comfort food is. Elizabeth Warren said chips and guacamole. Kamala Harris, fries. Tulsi Gabbard, vegan cupcakes. Pete Buttigieg, beef jerky. Kristen Gildebrand, whiskey. Ulian Castro, iced tea. Klobuchar, baked potato, but listen to these two. Cory Booker said veggies are his comfort food. Lame. And then that Marianne Williamson character yeah. said, I have no comfort food. Oh, I thought she was going to say something like she eats the auras of the people around her. That's probably what she meant. I have no comfort food. I have no comfort food? Dude. Then you're not an American. Get her a spoonful of mac and cheese or something. Or just a block of cheese. A big block of sharp cheddar cheese. Oh, you're making... Just gnaw on that thing. While, while sitting <laughs> under my... Irene. Sitting under my weighted blanket. Oh. Monica just texted me, I want a block. In all caps. Have I shown you the picture? I showed you the picture Monica, of my son. Monica, I, sh- I showed you where we have cheese in the office. I showed you the picture of my son eating a block of cheese. Yeah, yeah. and you were never more proud of that baby. That's my boy. We're in the middle of a uh, strange science, some of these weird science stories. And oncologists for a long time have been looking for some sort of uh, high-accuracy test uh, to diagnose lung cancer patients. The problem is those highly accurate tests tend to be highly expensive methods. There is a new study. Researchers with the American Osteopathic Association say that Beagles, like Snoopy, beagles are capable of successfully detecting the disease simply by scent. Hmm. 
that they have remarkable accuracy. The beagles were chosen for their enhanced sense of smell compared to other dog breeds. They were even able to differentiate differentiate between blood serum samples taken from patients suffering from malignant lung cancer and those who are healthy with 97% accuracy. 97%. They're saying right now that it appears... Dogs have a better natural ability to screen for cancer than our most advanced technology. That's fascinating. I have a cousin whose son is type 1 diabetic. Yeah. And he's got a dog that can smell when his blood sugar levels go crazy. And what does the dog do? Dog nips at his leg. Wow. Doesn't It doesn't sit and point or like... Because that's dog things. But if the dog starts nipping at your knee, you know something's wrong. So you this, do a test to make sure that your blood sugar levels are okay. This is kind of like Nick, who knows when I'm hungry. Like, he can sense it. I do, yeah. Right. Because he's an empath. You're hungry right now. I am hungry yeah. right now. You want some Kung Pao? Yes, I do want some Kung Pao. How are you doing that? And? He's in a different room. He can't you want smell the you. I do want the dim sum. The hargow. Yeah, the hargow. She wants the hargow. Nobody wants hargow. Everybody does. Well, we're feeling it, so. You know what? When you haven't tried something and then you say you don't like it, it makes you sound like you're eight years old. Like kombucha? Yeah, but you tried it. I tried it. And you didn't like it. I felt all day yesterday like I had ginger shoved in my nose. And I usually like ginger. I can appreciate it. Yeah. But it just felt... It, 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 I felt like I had spilled some on myself all day. Like, is that, is that ginger I smell? It was weird. Huh. Not a fan. There's better kombucha. You should bit the, You should get the good kind. Stop it. So I know you weren't able to go to this, but you wanted to. The Robot X Manufacturing Expo in Bangkok yesterday. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you staying at work. Well, someone's got to. But they were wowed yesterday at this expo uh, by two armed robots that can make sushi, they can pour beers, they can play chess. The Swiss firm ABB, that robot can hold a cup in one hand at a 90 degree angle for the perfect pour while tipping beer into it from the other. I think what's what bothers me the bo- the most about this is that this robot is right now just big clunky mechanical things with two hands on the end of it and then a TV screen that's about 25 inches wide that has a face on it. It's not even built to look like a robot that you would think of. This is and it's all basically to just prove that their robots are so flexible and programmable that they can do just about anything that you're going to need them to do. It's not that we need robots to pour our beers. No? Although it would be awesome. Could you imagine going home and telling your robot, pour me a beer? Oh, that's why I guess you have kids, huh? (laughs) That's not why. Oh, no? No, that time has passed. Um... But I used to be able to tell them to do that. And then they then they started talking. I think the last time we were over at your house, my husband taught your daughter how to open up a bottle of champagne. Oh, yes. And in, in, in any event that we uh, have a bottle of champagne around, like New Year's Eve, for yeah. example, she's she's runs to the front. I can do that. I know how to do that. I know how to do that. Yeah. 
did he teach her what that little cage is called? The little wire cage? Uh, no. You can wow her with this. It's called a musilet. That's not true. It is true. Musilet. It's what the little wire thing is on your bottle. Bubbles. Do you know what a circlage is? Is that that pregnancy thing? Yeah. That's all I know. Cervical circlage. Speaking of science. It's uh, also known as a cervical stitch. It's a treatment for cervical incompetence or insufficiency when the cervix starts to shorten and open too early during a pregnancy. That can cause either a late miscarriage or preterm birth. They literally tie it shut. Can you never give me childbirth details ever again? It's just nature. (laughs) 50 years after it was jettisoned into space, scientists say they may have located the last remaining lunar module from the Apollo missions. Apollo 10 was launched in May of 69 in what would be a dress rehearsal for the first ever moon landing in May of 69. In July of 69, of course, is when it happened. Um, During which the Snoopy lunar module brought crew within about 50,000 feet of the moon's surface. Astronauts then redocked with the Charlie Brown command module. But the Snoopy lunar module, which never actually touched the moon, at that point was never seen again. Now they're saying, after searching through terabytes of information, terabytes of data, a team says they are 98, uh, 98% convinced that they have pinpointed the lost module. Um, after the crew completed their missions near or on the moon and then redocked to the command module, the only component that was actually capable of surviving reentry, the lunar module ascent stage was destroyed. They said that those parts were either purposefully crashed into the moon or just allowed to burn up in Earth's atmosphere. Apollo 10's Snoopy became the only lunar module to survive after it was jettisoned into space and ended up in orbit around the sun, they say, and for 50 years has just been floating through space. And uh, I would tell you exactly where it is, but, I mean, it's floating around the sun, so it's not like I can point to it and say, there it is. There it is. There it is. It's orbiting around. I'm still stuck on the stitches and the cervical thing. Cerclage. Cervical cerclage. Mm. John and Ken show coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Blessings. L-A-T-T-I-H-T-B-D. Look at the time. I have to be going. Gary and Shannon. Get a credit card that gives you what you need now. A low interest rate on everyday purchases and place to transfer high interest rate balances. The PenFed Gold Contactless Card is our lowest interest rate credit card. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Join PenFed and together they can help you keep more of what's yours. Visit PenFed.org slash gold card. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCU. Anyway.